My friend Naz Diwan often talks about like when we leave a specific space, like what do we leave behind there? And do we leave possibility for folks after us who are like us or in more marginalized positions to, to inhabit it? Or do we leave for our own, you know, for our own care, but like kind of set it up as like the next trans person's gonna like walk in there and also be harmed and then again and again and again. This is Healing Justice, a podcast bridging conversations at the intersections of collective healing and social change. I'm your host, Kate Warning. This week, we're talking with Jacoby Ballard about all things allyship, accompliceship, and solidarity. You'll hear some captivating stories about navigating complex layers of identity, privilege, and oppression. You'll hear a story about pronouns and why they're important, how practice can help us ground the charge that we sometimes feel when we're triggered, and whether we should even be using the word ally or accomplice or whose it is to really name that role anyways. Jacoby is a white trans queer person living in Amherst, Massachusetts, but is moving to Salt Lake City, Utah this summer. And he's a co-founder of the worker-owned cooperative Third Root Community Health Center in Brooklyn, where I also instruct yoga classes. So grateful for uh, Jacoby's legacy in founding that beautiful place. And he's also a co-founder of Bending Towards Justice, which is an organization that leads anti-oppression workshops and consultations for yoga communities, and is also a leading teacher at Adhikara Yoga School. There's a lot more on Jacoby's work in the show notes, so be sure to check that out. Before we dive in, I want to share a word with you about supporting the podcasts and being in reciprocity with us. I have been so moved by the number of folks in the past couple of weeks that I have met uh, traveling at different conferences or trainings or immersions um, in co-working spaces, folks who have showed up at my house um, that have shared stories of using these practices and listening to the podcast with their organizations, with their partners or their friends. Um, even heard this week about a crew in the UK, shout out to Black Lives Matter UK, who have been listening and sharing it together. And that for us is the ultimate metric of success. That is the why as to why we are doing this volunteer labor of love to bring you these conversations and these practices. It shows us that it's working meaningfully when we hear that the conversations and practices are actually impacting people's lives. And so we want to ask you to figure out one of many ways that you can be in reciprocity with us. Right now we are in the process of wrapping up season one of the podcast that will wrap up mid-June. And reevaluating what will make it sustainable for this project to continue for season two. And in order for that to happen, we really need your help. Uh, there are a lot of ways to be supportive, but one of the biggest ways, honestly, is to give. Whether you have a couple bucks a month or whether you can make a $1,000 donation right now, um, we really need folks to support the costs of maintaining this project. And there are two ways you can give. You've probably heard me talk about all the time, um, giving on Patreon, which is a platform that allows you to give a monthly amount. We have folks giving everything from uh, $2 a month to $36 a month on our Patreon. Maybe we'll even get a donor at a higher level than that. Um, and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash healingjustice. That is a really awesome and reliable way to show up for us, and it's not that big of a dent in your bank account. But actually, we did a poll this past week on our Instagram account uh, as to how people like to give, and most of you said that you prefer to give a one-time donation. And so um, this week, actually for the first time ever, uh, a little late to the party here, but we set up a link that folks can actually give a one-time donation. So if you have felt moved to give and the monthly thing just isn't your thing, um, I ask that you visit our link in the show notes to make a one-time donation. You can also find 
the link to give and the f- profile of our Instagram account at Healing Justice. If you're listening on your phone, you can just click through there. Um, and we so, so appreciate your generosity. It literally helps us plan for the future and determine what can be a sustainable path for this podcast, which as you know, based on what we talk about here, is a deep commitment and it's critically important that this project be in integrity with those values. Yeah. If we're not sustaining ourselves, then what are we talking about here? As the peace poet said last week, if we can't have peace amongst ourselves, we have no right to be singing about peace in the streets. So thank you for considering joining us and supporting in that way. If you really don't have anything to give monetarily, but can share, um, can spread the word to your friends, can uh, share our social media, can leave a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening. All of those things are super helpful too. So thank you for being with us. All right. I'm really excited to share this conversation with Jacoby with you. So let's dive on in. Here we go. Hi, Jacoby. Hey, Kate. Thank you so much for welcoming me to your home in Amherst, Massachusetts, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really exciting to be talking to you because you're someone that I have admired from afar from when I lived in Milwaukee and um, looking for examples around the country of um, places where truly many different people feel deeply welcome to come and practice together. Yeah. And Third Root had been on my radar for a long time and it's still just like such a gift and unbelievable to me that now that I live in Brooklyn, I live a couple blocks away and I'm able to teach there. And a lot of that is because of your legacy and your leadership. I'm so jealous. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And yeah, excited to just dig in with you a little bit around this intersection of practice and healing and justice. Yeah, totally. Thanks so much for coming. Um, So will you share a little bit about your own journey of how you came into this work and how did those pieces mix together for you and lead you to where you are now? Mm, That's a good question. There's a few different like roads that intersected (laughs) eventually. Um, I started meditating in high school um, and I went to a, I lived in a small town of 3000 people and my town was like um, half Latino, at least half Latino, and, and half white, and I had lots of racial tension um, that was not spoken to or held skillfully, um, and lots of violence would happen in our school. Um, and it was also a really homophobic environment. Um, Western Colorado, ranching, mining, community. And I had been bullied for being perceived as queer. I was not out as queer in mm. high school, even to myself, um, but was bullied from like seventh grade on. Um, in my senior year in high school, I was part of a group called Student Empowerment that took on a senior project. Um, and I kind of out of the blue uh, chose meditation. Meditation, well, partially like made me a better athlete. So that was like what was immediately compelling about it. But it also, um, I think saved my life from like the impacts of bullying and -hmm. kept me alive and let me see something stronger inside that can never be extinguished regardless of what's going outside. Um, But it also kind of created this uh, wrinkle in my, in my practice uh, of kind of like wall using my practice to wall off Mm. the, the harsh world, which I feel like I've like been slowly coming back and opening more and more and integrating practice and world so that's one path just like this deep faith that like uh these practices can can save our lives for for people that are targeted and marginalized and um facing you know harsh circumstances in their lives um and yoga came a little bit later a couple years later in college where I had to do a wellness credit and I'm so grateful for that like requirement and I'm so grateful for Lillian and the age that she was and just how yoga had impacted her life. It was not about asana, but also she could kick my ass in asana. Mm. And <laughs> as an athlete, that was just like, was like dumbfounding to me. Also taught me things about my body that like all my years as an athlete had never taught me about mm. like softness and slowing down and listening that had, no one had ever instructed me <laughs> around that. It was all about like forcing and pushing and doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also became an activist in college and 
was doing work around um, racial justice and solidarity movements and economic justice on campus. So the like embodiment piece and the mindfulness piece and the activist piece kind of like were all these like separate roads because like yogis at the time didn't really meditate. Um, much more emphasis on the like fast-paced asana and meditators weren't really thought like movement was like a distraction mm. <laughs> and then the, like activists were all thought that, like we don't have time to like be in our bodies or meditate because mm. people are dying and there's like real grave circumstances that we're dealing with mm-hmm. and how dare you <laughs> mm-hmm. so then they all kind of eventually intersected I think it was kind of inevitable with these paths important to me it was actually um yeah, I got fired from a job in New York, um, a place owned by a yoga ashram. And at that moment, I was just like, I'm not doing service labor anymore. There's no protections. And um, that experience kind of led to, among some other experiences, led to the creation of Third Root, um, which was really where like I started to mm. integrate and just like explore, like, is this possible to integrate social justice and and holistic healing practices. Yeah, so for those who aren't familiar with Third Root Community Health Center in Brooklyn, um, I recommend that you go back and listen to episode seven on the podcast with uh, Jelani and Emily and hear more about the incredible work that's happening at Third Root. But the thing that I'm really excited to talk to you about today that I feel like sort of bridges in the ways that you've been sort of using your um, body and experience as a bridge between those worlds, something that really comes up for me when I think about your teaching and your experience in that bridging is this idea of, of allyship or navigating between and experiences of marginalization and experiences of coming alongside and being in positions of privilege. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a gift that you've given to me and many others who follow your work is just like a real openness mm-hmm. about what it is like navigating these multiple worlds mm-hmm. as a white person and as a trans person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to start by even just asking about the word allyship because there's so much conversation that is important around like the words that we use for this concept of coming alongside um and just to ask you what some of your thoughts are on that yeah from what i've learned and what i've experienced on both sides um of being either the targeted person or the person with more privilege is that it's not if i'm the person of privilege it's not um i can strive towards allyship and and try to practice like solidarity and even being an accomplice but it's not mine to like name myself mm. as an as an ally because um, that's coming from like a place of ego and that's coming from like a place of like i don't know like wanting cred like before i establish relationship or trust with someone like don't worry i'm an ally in this room full of people of color like mm. um when like they don't know me and like they're <laughs> experience their life's experience and that of their ancestors has taught them everything but to trust someone like me coming mm-hmm. into the room mm-hmm. and and I've, I've really liked um trying on the, the word accomplice as well recently um in that it's like more strategic and depends on like a pre-established relationship like between the two of us in in the quest for say like racial justice or trans justice or whatever it is and, you know, uh, we can interrogate all these words and mm. it's language, of course, matters and language can like connect or divide. And I think it's our actions that really establish one to be an ally or mm. not. Mm. Yeah, I feel like that word accomplice does invoke action a little more powerfully, mm-hmm. right? Because it's like, well, the, de- the definition is based on like, accompanying someone through action right Right, like supporting something yeah but yeah i'm curious like what your um experiences have been either in being having accomplices come alongside you Mm. or being an accomplice to somebody else or or missing that opportunity completely Mm -hmm. um and are there any stories that like jump out in your mind about this concept there's so many i mean it's like it's a daily and weekly practice so there's an a whole list, a whole slew of stories. I think in my like development in like my early twenties, post college, of um, 
trying to like figure out where I fit in racial justice struggles, study became a big part mm. of, of that work. So like before even, um, or not before, but amidst being in like friendships and um, acquaintances with different folks of color, um, to also not be getting all of my information through those relationships, but to, you know, draw on the, the music and theater and, and books and poetry that's already out there that we can mm. really dive deep into to and to bring that into our relationships with each other. You know, being in the yoga world like, <laughs> has, has given me ample opportunity, both, both, because there's until recently there hasn't been like many queer folks or many people of color that are like lifted up and seen in their work there's we've, we've been there all along mm. um and the we're not the people that are like covered on, on the covers of magazines um so opportunities to like be in relationship with the black yoga teachers alliance um and their um conference annual conference and then also just like navigating being like the only trans person in in a room over and over and over again mm. and now it's a little bit easier there's like less frequent harm I'm also choosier about the yoga classes that I go to I guess and I'm being in the room so many times when my body is like explicitly like not welcomed or pathologized even by some teachers mm. and trying to use my practice to to not shut my heart off like come from a place of wisdom of like oh maybe I don't want to sit with Dharma Mitra anymore if he's saying that my experience as a trans person is um, not owning up to my karma um, in terms of the gender that I was born into um, maybe I don't want to sit with him but can I still like offer him loving kindness from a distance yeah. or not you know denigrate him as like a teacher because I don't really know the rest of his being I know what happened in those couple of hours with him mm. um, but that doesn't mean that I write off his entirety that sounds like something that could have been kind of a journey right because isn't oh, yeah. there also like a really a really rightful healthy I would imagine rage oh yeah like that could come up of not just being like, okay, this is this person's experience that they're completely negating who I am. (laughs) So what, so what's like the real, it's beautiful that you get to loving kindness. And like, also like, what's the arc of that trajectory? Because that's, it's also a lot to, it's a lot to ask of you. Totally. Yeah. To be that graceful. Totally. Um, I mean, I try to keep coming back to the teaching that we wake up together and that like we're in relationship with each other to, liberate ourselves and and try to stand for freedom of all all beings um but absolutely i went through rage and and uh fear you know it like really amped up my fear of yoga spaces i haven't gone back to a yoga journal conference since which is where that happened Mm. i wrote them i wrote yoga journal letters i wrote his studio letters probably not necessarily from like the kindest place initially um, but then just like kept sitting with that experience over years and it helped to talk about it and to not feel like shame and isolation about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of like lost its power over me over years through continuing to talk about it and not just like tucking it like into a part of myself that I never look at mm. um, and letting it become part of like the wisdom that I try to teach from is like, I would never want to use a philosophical teaching to blame or shame anyone, whether I recognize, like, I don't think he even recognized that there was a trans person in that room mm. at the moment when he was teaching and talking about that. And then to eventually like go through forgiveness and, and like not in relationship with him. And I'm still not in relationship with him, but, um, yeah, to absolutely go through all those emotional phases to get to forgiveness and it, mm-hmm. and loving kindness. And it, and it takes a lot of time. And I think it's important to take all the time. Um, so many of my teachers say that you can't force forgiveness. Like, it's on its own timeline. Hmm. Um, it makes me think, too, like, what what is the possible lesson in accompanying folks that are experiencing direct harm around, like, space for rage space for like organizing back like writing those letters trying to get a kind of tangible change and result for yourself but also for others right like 
Um, and I feel like sometimes in communities of privilege and especially compounded by like spiritual communities, there can be a quickness to say, oh, forgive now. Yeah. Right. That like actually doesn't allow space for that arc. And so, yeah. um, yeah. Like what are your thoughts on that of like how to accompany folks who have been directly harmed and not actually jump to and bypass to like, oh, like, you know, here's the place of, of love and generosity and liberation for all beings that you should be at already. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, I think we can't just like we can't force our own timeline. We can't force each other's timeline. Like maybe something happens with the both of us with someone else, and and you forgive them in a matter of days, and it takes me like years to get there. And that you know depends on our background and and past harm and past trauma and our ancestry and what we've been taught about people like whoever. Mm. And I think it's a big part of being in in alliance with any community outside of your own it's to to withstand the rage and the grief and just like continue to show up and continue to be there and know even if you're like sometimes um that rage is coming out um, all over you mm-hmm. and it's sometimes about you and your actions but like if it's if it's hysterical it's historical so it's not just about you mm-hmm. there was a moment in my teacher training uh last year a yoga teacher training that came up where um, there's a few people in the group that go by they pronouns mm-hmm. and there's a few people in the group that had never met anyone mm-hmm. um, that went by they pronouns and so at the end of the first weekend um, some of the tr- trans and gender queer people brought that to my attention like our pronouns are not being respected it's been happening in small groups it's been happening in pairs um, and it really hurts and it really sucks um and so I brought that to the whole group um, and, you know, talked about for the for the people that are not who have not been in relationship with trans people and gender queer. Like this is a steep learning curve and know that when you don't use a pro- the right pronoun, you're you're stepping into a legacy of harm and violence. Um, and that's going to sting and it's going to sting way more than like uh, your singular words could ever make it sting. Um, and mm-hmm. for those of us um you know who who are feeling that that pain and not feeling respected in this space um know that it's yes it's about the the person here but it's also about so much more Mm. um and so can you still hold the basic goodness of this person using the wrong pronoun while um interrogating the words and actions and that was the first weekend of nine. So we had to be like, we're going to be, we're going to be in relationship with each other for months down the road. And we're going to be doing, you know, we're going to be giving each other adjustments and we're going to be talking about compassion and forgiveness. And we're going to be doing intense work together. And in in that way, I felt like kind of lucky that that came out like right away. So Mm. let's just like, get it on the table. This is what's here. Yeah. Um, and let's, let's talk about it and work with it. And, um, by the end, they were, like, in a much more, like, peaceful place with each other. And, you know, the the, the straight folks that don't really have a relationship with trans people were, like, totally on it. And, like, talking to their friends and family even about it mm. and, and educating people around them. And then and the trans people felt, like, totally comfortable in this space. Mm. I, I felt so lucky that it came up in my teacher training and I'm so lucky that I have done 20 years of work around that specific thing to be able to speak to to both parties and I'm no longer charged by it when I get mispronounced I was for years it still is like come on this is annoying respect me but it's no longer um, that I write someone off entirely or push them out or no longer want to be friends with them or work with them or date Mm. them or whatever the relationship is Hmm. And what has resourced you to get to that place? I think being on the other side of the equation, <laughs> like also being white mm. and also often being read as male. And so then receiving those privileges um, and knowing that I myself like want to be in deep relationship and solidarity with all these other communities. And I'm like day by day, year by year, learning how to be. Mm-hmm. So I guess just like, witnessing my own ignorance and my own learning informs you know that 
everyone is also in that process and um, everyone's waking up at their own pace mm-hmm. and thinking about like what's going to make what's going to build a bigger movement what's going to gain momentum is it by interrogating and critiquing each other and pushing each other out and someone's actions or words at a solitary conference or a retreat like meaning that they're not down for the cause mm. or can we like yeah go through the rage and through the grief of that moment and that harm but still commit to the larger body of work together which demands that we be in deep relationship with each other mm. and have you had a is there any kind of practice that you've experienced around like asking for help or asking for the kind of accompliship or allyship that you really want like how how much do you think is about people doing their own study and figuring out for themselves and like doing the right thing in those moments and how much is also about us being able to ask for like this is what i need I've learned, you know, through my study of neurobiology and trauma that, like, in that moment, we can't possibly know because uh, it's a different part of the brain. Uh-huh. Um, so to be prepared. And, like, the, the Icarus Project um, years ago came out with this um, model of mad maps mm-hmm. of, like, anticipating when shit goes down, when things go awry, when someone's mental health um, or lack thereof flares up. Um, like, what's the plan in that moment? Mm. so to do that ahead of time and so for me in different relationships like say I'm like traveling across the country with someone to like just tell them like so we're gonna I'm gonna be going into the public bathrooms and some violence has occurred in there for me um in the past and um who knows but um please time me and Mm -hmm. um if I don't come out in three minutes which I should um then then come in after me Mm. Um, or yeah, to like talk with someone like, uh, you know, when a waitress uses the wrong pronoun, I'm not really concerned about them unless it's like a place where we go every week and I'm going to face this waitress again and again. But if it's a one-time thing, it's like not really worth the comfort Mm. in that moment, Mm. um, to have that conversation with that person. Mm -hmm. Have you had experiences where people have like heroically intervened on your behalf and that that actually felt dehumanizing where you're like, I actually didn't need that right now (laughs) huh or have you done that to somebody else (laughs) i totally have (laughs) (laughs) i've totally done that at the off the mat training that i was assisting this past summer um there's a woman telling um this story about um there's a white woman telling this story uh about um having an interaction with a with a cop who happened to have been trained in mindfulness by Sherry Maples and um, just how lovely that interaction was. Oh, and wow. in that moment, a lot of the white people that are involved in racial justice got like really like, <gasps> like yeah. how can you be t- saying that a cop is a, like, and just all of our, our things, you're not realizing the privilege in that moment or like that you were able to have this relationship with this with this police officer. Um, and totally like five of us like made it into this thing when and then like when we took a break shortly thereafter and I checked in with a a couple of the folks of color one of them Cassandra was just like if I worried about that then like I would just always be out of sorts like that Mm. was just a pretty story and I'm I'm like great that cops are getting mindfulness and great that this woman can have an interaction with cops that I'll never have Mm. Um, and she didn't feel that kind of way about it then it like became a thing where there was like there was a council circle that night to talk about this thing that happened and like the people of color didn't need that Mm. and I was trying to read the room in that moment and a a couple of the there's not that many people of color there's probably like eight or nine folks in that room but there's there's a few that had like the whole training had been really hard and they were often like had their hands on the ground and their head was hanging and they were like concentrating or feeling deeply and there was a few other folks who like um were pretty assimilated and weren't feeling much charge at all um and we don't i'd only known any of them for like a couple of days Mm -hmm. so i you know i know what trauma like generally looks like but i didn't know these people well enough to like know what trauma in their individual bodies would look like yeah and how to read if, if like that moment called for an inter- intervention but then it's also layered by like one of the responses f- 
to trauma is to shut down, yeah. to freeze, you know? Yeah. So it's hard. It's really hard to, to read in those moments. And I think just being soft with ourselves and soft with each other is so important that it's not about getting it right. And it's not about mm. like, we're never going to memorize like all the things. Yeah. Um, but if we're in relationship, then like, I know what you look like when you're disturbed. Mm. I know what like your skin does. I know what your eyes do. I know, know what like heat might be coming off your body or not. Mm. Um, and I think it's really important to make mistakes mm. in, in Buddhism, right? Like the difficult people are seen as our greatest teachers. So we wouldn't want to write off the difficult people. Like how else would I learn about boundaries? How else would I learn about um, uh, internalized transphobia or um, uh, and my, the like benefactors or easy people to be with? Like are never going to give me those lessons. Mm. So in that sense, it's like kind of like shifted my perspective and like being on the receiving end of of harm mm-hmm. like oh this is an opportunity to learn and grow mm-hmm. like to feel the pain of it of course and the grief and the rage and then like a few days or a few weeks out to like be in re- reflection and that's one of the amazing possibilities of practice right is to like step back and then like sit in the midst of our lives mm-hmm. with everything that's going on and notice what what is going on and what place I'm acting from and speaking from and is that from a place of love or is it from a place of fear and if it's from a place of fear what am I afraid of mm. what does that remind me of what did my ancestor t- teach me about this kind of situation um, and is it is fear actually called for in that moment or is there a way to shift back into love would you share a little bit with us about like when you talk about the the mad map example the the work from the Icarus project um like for those of us who are newer to that work or just trying to dive deeper into it of that level of self-awareness of like when I get triggered, like here are the things that happen for me and here's what I need that I might not be able to tell you in that moment that I need, but here's my best guess as to what I will need, right? Mm-hmm. Like, can you just share an example from your own life of like kind of your your plan or what is your self-awareness around moments when you're triggered? Like what are the the telltale signs that you mm-hmm. notice in yourself? And then what are the asks that you make of people who want to be an accomplice with you in that moment? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I feel like yoga trainings have given me ample opportunities to study that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I feel hot in my body. I feel like a little bit choked. Um, I feel um, not really on the ground very much in my head Mm. um a little like a little bit of like tunnel vision where i can't like there's like nothing else going on i'm not thinking about who's not there i'm not thinking about does my dog have what she needs right now i'm just tuned in with that um at the same training uh off the mat i was sitting right by hala Corey, and we've known each other for five or six years now and been in pretty deep relationship with each other. She's really taught me a lot about trauma. And I've been like one of the first trans people that she's been like close friends with. Um, and they now uh, off the mat asks pronouns in their go round of like this circles of like 50 to 60 people. Um, and uh, she didn't, she explained it, but and why use pronouns, which often prevents some of the silly responses that mm-hmm. can come out. Mm-hmm. Um, but if uh, that didn't land for everyone there, um, and there was a very dear man of color that like first responded and was like, "I go by the pronoun we." Um, and then the next person, um, then that caught fire amongst all the white women and they were like, oh, I go by we too and me too and me too. And, um, and I was like starting to like dig my fingernails into Mm. my thighs Mm. and Hala noticed that. And she just like put her hand on mine and she was like, do you want to speak to this? And I was like, I'm going to rip their heads off. And she was like, okay, got it. And she's, she just had them like gracefully pause and was like, hey, I noticed this thing's happening. Um, I know you don't know it, but it's a harmful thing for this reason. Um, so if we can go back and um, mm. 
I know that you actually don't go by we. Um, and can you can you say your pronoun again and just be in practice with this? And this is not to humiliate you. This is um, to invite you into this learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just happens to ha- be at this opening circle. <laughs> Welcome to the training. Yeah. This is what we'll be doing all week. Yes. <laughs> um, this kind of self-reflection work. Um, and it was a great moment for me because in the in the past, at off-the-mat trainings, I've spoken up and I have ripped people's heads off. Mm. And then that has kind of compromised my role there as like an assistant where like people just see me as like the angry queer person, um, which I know is like fraught with that dynamics of power too. And then like folks of color get mapped into that position all the time as well. Um, But if there's a way that I can not step into that position if I can anticipate that mm. and not step into that then I want to try as much as possible mm. and you know if if Hala hadn't been in the room like the other facilitators didn't notice mm. um so it could have like kept going and you know maybe I would have shut down maybe I would have like written that guy off maybe it, and, yep. and it turns out that like six months later he gives money to Bending Towards Justice that is training yoga teachers in anti-oppression so you know staying in relationship then like had this like it's not always a monetary you know um, gain but um it really serves both of us to to stay in relationship and stay in that moment of discomfort and to for me to let hala speak and know that i shouldn't speak yeah that I feel like that piece around like that little check-in which i would think of as like consent Mm -hmm. like like acknowledging your power because there's definitely moments that like when I'm like the only woman in a room and something Uh is going awry, there are moments where like, I'm going to speak to that shit. Yeah. Like, and that that's actually my dignity. Like, totally. And and it's like, I actually don't need somebody to speak for me about that. right. Right. And then there's also moments where it's like, which is a call I've heard a lot from people of color is like, if you're noticing something, can you please freaking speak up? Because yeah. we have to do this all the time. Yeah. Like, it's, can you take a shift? You know what I mean? Right. And also around, like, who can who can hear right. who you can hear it from. And yeah. thinking about how, the position that Hala holds in mm-hmm. a room full of, like, women yoga people yeah. is a very certain kind of bridging position. Mm-hmm. Um, I also don't want us to come to this conclusion, like, no. people shouldn't go right. off. Because yeah. sometimes... Like, yeah, that's what's called for. That could also be a really good learning. Yeah. And like learning how, like you were even saying before, learning how to be with our own rage and each other's rage. Yeah. And not like go immediately right. to that place of like, yeah. we need to be like very collected. Right. So in one of the earlier episodes, I was talking to Sumitra Rajkumar, who does somatic work. And Sumitra was talking about this idea of like guarding ourselves and man- kind of managing trigger and managing mm-hmm. like flashpoints of conflict as a very bourgeois feminism like kind of style Uh. which i thought was very interesting because literally like she's an expert in holding trauma (laughs) (laughs) and i feel like a lot of our care around wanting to smooth and hold moments like the Mm -hmm. one where you were triggered in the circle yeah is trauma informed but there's also Mm. this piece around like trauma control yeah that yeah like the smooth the smoothing over isn't always like the most healing experience and sometimes that conflict and that rage and that like snapping so that people can really get a window Mm -hmm. to that experience it's like sometimes also okay so Mm -hmm. yeah it's complicated it's really complicated (laughs) (laughs) and we need the rage and we we need the anger because that tells us that something's wrong yeah and that's really important yeah and sometimes speaking from that place is the only thing that's going to get attention to the wisdom of what's wrong Mm mm-hmm um, but sometimes that's going to interfere with our larger objectives of like moving into racial justice or moving towards, you know, gender solidarity or. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I've been thinking about and <laughs> having ample opportunity to practice is the moments when um, when there's multiple directions of, of power and and or, and being in a targeted or marginalized position. Um, I've been going to the Baita Black Yoga Teachers Alliance conference for the last couple of years um, as an invited guest when I found out about them originally. 
uh, I emailed the organizers and was like, how can I support? How can I rally rally white yoga communities to support this? Mm -hmm. Um, And so we raised $5,000 for scholarships for for black yogis to attend. Um, And as a result, they were like, will you come to our conference? (laughs) And I couldn't not accept that invitation but also it was, there was some awkward things of like being one of a couple of white people in a, in a, at a black yoga teachers conference and many, most of the people like not knowing like, what is this white guy doing here? He, this is not his space. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so lovely to be there and to, to be witness to their knowledge and experience and to also just like see them love on each other and grow with each other and the multiple generations and across genders. And um, it's, it's beautiful and important and rare in yoga spaces. And so the second year I was at this conference, um, the one of the teachers was leading this, this dance um, that she's been leading for like decades. And part of the formula, part of the how she teaches it is at one point she has like all the men rally together in the center of the circle. Um, I hadn't known her or had much relationship with her prior. And um, yeah, when that happened in the, in the moment I was like, Oh shit, like, what do I do? Do I, um, what does it look like if I don't go into the middle mm-hmm. as like one of a few white people? Um, does it look like I'm just like boycotting or not participating and like what are the power dynamics of that and and what happens if I go into the circle right and my gender or masculinity is not seen or valued and recognized and and what's that going to bring up for me or like what that what am I willing to have that moment seen by the like 90 black women on the outside that are just watching the guys Mm -hmm. in the middle Um, so I did I, I went into the middle and uh, was not seen or recognized. No one made eye contact with me. There was like other guys like huddling together, patting each other on the back or like shaking hands or whatever. Um, that is not happening with me. They were all black men. I was a white trans person in the middle. Um, and then uh, the next direction was like to imagine that we were like coming back from um, like a, a retreat and we were like coming back to like strut our stuff to the like women of the village. And that also like brought up a lot for me of like around like just heter- like compulsive heterosexuality. And like like what if the men wanted to strut themselves to each other? <laughs> like that's what mm. being on retreat was about. Like mm. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, in my head there was a lot going on. And I just um in that moment I, I, I couldn't. I was like, this is just too much on display and and too vulnerable and uh, I didn't, there was no other trans people there. There was only a few queer people there and only a few people that I like knew as like queer allies who were like speaking to that stuff in workshops, um, whether or not I had a relationship with them before. So I left I got, and, and I, I, I ran, like trauma took over and I was like flew out of there. Mm. And um, a couple of friends chased me down the hall who knew me and uh, my partner had just left and, and I called her and she came back and comforted me and helped me like come back to a more balanced place. And um, I had a couple of friends on the phone because I had just been in this other retreat at the Buddhist Peace Fellowship where like mm. uh, trans our transcestors were like consistently lifted up and like everyone was like using each other's pronouns and like it was just like so mm-hmm. queer and trans like analysis was just part of the fabric of the retreat and Mm -hmm. um so I got on the phone with one of my friends from that retreat too and um that was really important because that friend Li Zen was like you don't in the moment she's she's a Asian woman and I was afraid of like her I don't know like seeing me as racist in that moment or like what does it mean for me as like a, a white person to be like seeking solace with this person of color and like we're new friends and and in the moment, she was like, you don't have anything to prove to me. Mm. And you can just be in your heart. And I can hold you in that place. Which was so important and such a relief, all of that. Um, and then um, I went, uh, I gathered a few folks who were who allies the next morning to like talk about it and figure out, like, is this something that I like 
talk to the leader of that workshop about or the leaders of the conference about other there had been several other moments of like both sexism and homophobia um, displayed by workshop leaders and, and teachers in the space so we were talking about that too and um, I was encouraged to to write to the workshop leader and I did and I had like I wrote my email and like sent it off to a few like queer um, folks of color to like edit it and like make sure I'm not like mm. uh, that I wanted to be as humble as possible and not you know lace the email with like white supremacy and like telling like a black woman how to organize the conference or workshop or you know her body of work for decades mm. um, but to like be an in integrity and dignity with myself and really bring like what I had experienced and 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 show her that not necessarily in the interest of like me gaining more space there but like in the interest of growing the possibility of black like trans folk trans yoga teachers being able to be there mm -hmm. and not be harmed mm -hmm. and uh, my friend Nas uh Diwan often talks about like when we leave a specific space like what do we leave behind there mm -hmm. and do we leave possibility for folks after us who are like us or in more marginalized positions to to inhabit it or do we leave for our own you know for our own care but like kind of set it up as like the, the next the next trans person is going to like walk in there and also be harmed and then again mm -hmm. and again and again mm -hmm. um so i wrote this woman a letter and, and, and an email and sent it to her and she um and i asked her in the end of the email like will you please sit with this for a couple of days and i asked you to not reply back right away if you care to reply back i would love to hear that she wrote back the next day <laughs> <laughs> and was basically like, this is not mine. This is part of the medicine of the dance. Things come up. Um, I'm not going to change how I'm teaching. Thanks for sharing my, your experience with me. I'm so sorry you've been so hurt in your life. And mm. sorry. Mm -hmm. um, and I had written the letter, like knowing that that was a possibility, mm -hmm. which is, to the elder and like I didn't know how many like queer trans people she had in her life anyway or if that's something she's committed to I was excited about the possibility of having this kind of like mm -hmm. opportunity to build with this black elder um, but uh, yeah she decided like she didn't take it up and but what it did allow is like a deepening in the, of the relationships of those those the circle of folks that I had gathered the next morning at the conference and um, one of them has become like a much closer friend as a result mm. of like those conversations that we had about the intersections of gender and, and race. Mm. Um, but to like not remain attached to a certain outcome in like calling in or calling up seems like an important lesson of like trying to either trying to show up as an ally or trying to call others to mm. be an ally. Mm. That complexity like feels so powerful like uh -huh. what is the dance between learning and listening and like really being in relationship where we have to remember and watch for certain things to have each other's backs well mm. and yeah I'm just loving like the the image of that person comforting you and just being like this is actually a relationship moment right. because we've also built enough trust in listening to one another and being aware of those power dynamics yeah. that there's a safety here where we can rest into some relationship. Mm -hmm. So I know you've done a lot of practice and I think for folks listening who have their own like deep lineage and, and history of practice might really relate. And also for folks who are like, wow, like I have no idea where to begin with that. I don't know what like my practice is or like what that means <laughs> uh -huh. to stick to something like that for so many years. So because of that, that's why we offer some basic intro practices on this podcast is yeah. so that folks can have some supports to try different things on. And I'd love to hear from you. What is the practice that you're sharing with us? Yeah, thank you. I'm offering a forgiveness practice. Um, mm. I come out of a, a Buddhist lineage, a Theravadan uh, Buddhist lineage with it. Um, but forgiveness is practiced in every spiritual practice that I'm aware of. Mm. It just seems like a wise human practice. It's not, um, for folks new to it, it's not condoning harm. It's, it's never about that or placating harm. 
um, or or bypassing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's recognizing like given that harm has happened, what are we going to do in this moment, and how do we transform that energy? So I'll start like offering forgiveness to oneself because that so often comes up, you know, in trying to be in relationship across difference mm-hmm. that like shame and self blame and self deprecation and not enoughness um, is comes up again and again and so forgive forgiveness of ourselves has to be part of our practice and um, and then forgiveness of one another in order to stay in relationship one more thing I'll say about forgiveness or any of these practices is that it's not to put on each other and I remember saying that to my students at the five points prison again and again when I taught Buddhism there is it's it, these are not tools to judge each other these are not tools mm. to to shame or blame each other but it's for us to try on so it's not you know when a shooting happens to like for me to decide that these the family should like forgive the shooter that's not mine but if the family themselves comes to that place to mm. forgive the person who's who shot or wounded their loved one that can be a source of their own liberation but that can't be directed from anyone but their own hearts. Mm. And also would love to just ask, how can we continue to be in kind of reciprocity and relationship with you for folks who are Mm. listening who have like really resonated with Mm. this conversation? How might they study with you or support the important work that you're doing? Thanks so much for that question. Um, Right now I teach at Adhikara Yoga School in Western Massachusetts. And we often have people come from other parts of the East Coast to attend the training um, because it is yoga and social justice, a 200-hour yoga teacher training. Um, I also each uh, offer workshops um, that are on my website, and I work with colleges and universities and grassroots organizations around some of these um, practices, like going into an organization to offer forgiveness can do a lot for the relationships in order to continue the work and mm-hmm. have trust when we enter dire situations. Um, so there's a button on my website, jacobyballard.com, that says book me. Um, and I'd love to come work with your organization. Cool. Well, thank you so much for sitting with us, Jacoby. Thanks, Kate. <laughs> you just heard a conversation between Jacoby Ballard and Kate Werning. You can follow Jacoby's work at jacobyballard.com. Download the corresponding practice to do a forgiveness meditation with Jacoby. This one is really special and deals with forgiveness of self as well as forgiveness of others. It is deep, deep medicine, especially in the social justice space where we move rightfully from such a place of accountability and fighting injustice. What is the role of forgiveness also alongside uh, that accountability piece. Yeah, it's a both and. As always, you can contribute at patreon.com slash healing justice if you can give a monthly donation or you can give a generous one-time donation at the link in our bio. You can also find both of those buttons on our website and sign up for our email list at healingjustice.org. The links are in the show notes for everything, everything, everything. All the things that Jacoby mentioned, what we reference in the episode, our social media accounts where we share quotes from our guests every single day. And we want to share a huge thank you to a new content editing volunteer, Jacob White, for your great work on this episode, as well as the mixing and production work of Zach Meyer at The Coal Room. Thank you for your commitment to building movements that liberate all of us. Hear you next week.